Welcome to the Mummy and Mind podcast. We're all about promoting mental well-being for mothers and discussing different ways to build better relationships in the family. Please connect with us on our socials at Mummy and Mind. Tune in and we really hope you enjoy. Hey, it's your host Cami, and welcome to another episode of the Mummy and Mind podcast. This show has been recorded remotely, but lockdown was not going to stop us from getting another episode out to you all. Once again, we want to thank everyone for all their support. And if you aren't already, please follow us on our socials at Mummy and Mind. On today's episode, we are joined by a special guest. She is the founder of Mummy's Day Out, which is a social platform for mums and also holds events and meetups for us mums to educate and support us during our journey. She is also an author and founder of the Agile and Kofi book series. She has recently launched a new book, which she'll discuss during the show. I'm really excited to introduce wife and mother of two, Rachel Bobbing. Hey, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. How have you been so far the last couple of weeks? Thank you so much for having me on. Um, Well, the last few weeks have been a bit crazy because um, obviously we've been in uh, what, uh, you know, lockdown and it's just been quite intense having both the kids at home and just kind of dealing with people around you getting sick and you know obviously RIP to all the people that passed as well but you know yeah it's been difficult but at the same time I feel like we've all kind of just adapted as best as we could Mm. kids the kids have really done really well like my kids have you know, they, they, they got excited when they go outside, but <laughs> just had to manage and they've just done really well. I haven't had loads of meltdowns and stuff. And one of the things I did was make sure that my daughter was able to call some of her friends from school because I'm that mom. Like I talk to everybody. So who's <laughs> <I don't know, laughs> mom's who? So I was like, you know what? She's really close to this child. So let's call this person. And they have some video calls. So that's really helped her to kind of deal with the fact that she's not seen her friend. But yeah. It's been hard, but we've got through it and we're still getting through it. So thank God. That's really good to hear. So could you tell us a little bit about your platform, Mummy's Day Out? So what made you start it? And um, was it something that you started during your pregnancy or was it after you had your child? Can you give us a bit of a journey on the platform? So uh, it's always really um, interesting when people ask me that question, because when I um, fell pregnant, I was very, very sick uh, a lot of the pregnancy. But when I came out of it, I kind of just had so many mums around me who were also pregnant at the same time or just given birth. So um, we all were kind of communicating. And then I thought, you know what, let's make an event where we can all come together, um, but with the children so that we don't have to worry about childcare. And and many of us were still um, breastfeeding. um, And for some people, just getting out with a newborn was quite difficult anyway. So leaving a newborn was even harder as well. So we just, I just thought, you know, let's put something together where we can all come out, we can do things that we used to like doing, but now we have these children. And um, I booked the Holiday Inn in Stratford, Westfield, and I just said, look, let's go for afternoon tea, because that's something I really enjoyed doing um, before I had my kids. And um, I said, look, who wants to come? But I don't really, because I've always been in a a kind of an organising kind of person, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to do this small, small. I'm going to go in. So (laughs) I made sure that, you know, we was getting a really nice um, afternoon tea. We had sponsors. People sent us products to give to the mums that attended. And we started off, you know, with 16 mums who came into a room in Holiday Inn, Stratford, with their babies. And we just chilled out. We had a great time. And from then it just spiraled on. Um, I always have to shout out my friend Magali, who runs a company called Legette Vet. She actually was the one that was helping me to set this whole thing up. And um, she does uh, weddings all around the world. So she's really, really busy. So she kind of came and then it was really nice. And then after that, it was kind of like, okay, can we do that again? Can we do that again? And I'm yeah. like, okay. By the time I realized we had sort of 40 women and their babies wow. <laughs> in a room in Westfield in in the Holiday Inn. And it was like, oh, my goodness, what have I opened? Um, and it just spiraled from there. You know, we, we, we ended up growing a following online. We started a WhatsApp group. 
um, where we were, you know, just conversating about just stuff, you know, just mum stuff and even just normal general life stuff and saying the things that sometimes you don't really feel like you can say and you yeah. no one to at you. So you're like, is this really happening or, you know? And so we just started having those conversations and what it actually did was reduce isolation that a lot of mums do have, but then it kind of started to in really grow and I found that my mission was to just empower inspire encourage women on this motherhood journey because that sometimes just gets overwhelming and you you don't know where you're what you're doing next you don't know where you are and it's like you just need to be around those women that are going to pump you up without any judgment but we all kind of think the same. We're all looking for that positive outcome for each other. So yeah, that's kind of started. Um, along that journey, then it just spiraled into, you know, there were a lot of mums that decided, actually, I don't want to go back to work. I want to start a business. So uh, kind of alongside it, we started um, the Mum to Mumpreneur Network, which again, just mums coming together, just talking about the highs, the lows of doing business and having the children in tow and just supporting one another. So we have loads of really fabulous connections that have happened through the mum to mumpreneur who now these women work together every week. That's amazing. Based on coming to mum to mumpreneur. So there's, I mean, there's so many angles to it. Um, and it's just grown and grown and grown. And you know what? I just thank God because it was just a little seed that just ended up flourishing into this, into this mm. amazing network of people you know I look I look on social media and I see this person has met up with this person and I know they met at a mummy's day out and now their kids are besties and things like that and it's it's so beautiful to watch um this is real sisterhood this is real you know like-minded women working together and coming together without judgment and that's that's really key when you have kids when you when you first have kids you've got your aunties telling you this you've got your mum telling you this then you've got your mother-in-law telling you that but if you all of that, you just want to have an open conversation with just somebody who's not going to say, well, why are you doing it like that? Because yes. we're all just trying to manage. Mm, <laughs> that is the word. You touched on there being different angles to Mummy's Day Out and how it's grown. Um, can you tell us a bit about your you branching off into being a writer? Because you've written a couple of books. You've got you've got once a series of books which I'm wanting to touch on for me, is it the Kofi and Adjua series? Yes, 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 yes. And then you've also released a new book. Can you tell us a bit about how that sort of came to pass, you deciding to now start being an author? Sure. So, as I say, Mummy's Day Out is there to um, encourage, inspire and empower women. And and sometimes through our adversity, um, you become empowered in a way that you you don't even really get because you're still going through your adversity. So when mm. I um, had my son, um, he wasn't an accident. But I didn't really plan, you know. <laughs> I found myself pregnant and I was like, oh, right, okay, so this is what we're doing now. And I suffer with a condition called hyperemesis, gravidarum. So what that basically is, is you have um, really severe sickness. So it's not morning sickness. It's not a sickness that um, you can kind of tame with ginger and all these things that people will say you should do. Um, and so... On that journey, my daughter kind of had to really mature quite quickly and become, um, she was quite self-sufficient anyway, even though she was so young, but she had to yeah. even more so because her mum was quite sick. And what happened was she would ask me lots of questions and those questions then I would just jot them down. I had no reason to jot them down. I just did. Um, and then once I had had my son, I thought, actually, you know what? This could be put in a book and this could help somebody else and how about I make sure that I home in on the fact that her name is Adwa and his name is Kofi because we're from Ghana and you know I was always called Abana but I didn't have that on my birth certificate and I didn't have anyone outside of the household or the family um, address me as Abana so I was like mm. hold on a minute I never got that connection. It was only as I got older, I asked a lot of questions about why are you calling me Abnecha? Who am I named after? Why? Blah, 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 blah. So I thought, you know what? Let me put all of that into a book. So let me put her experience into a book. Let me make sure we use the Ghanaian name. So someone out there who has a Ghanaian name can also see themselves represent. And relate to it. And relate. Put that in a book. 
put it out there. If I'm honest with you, if I'm really, truly honest with you, I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) I just wrote this book and I just, I, you know, it was January and I was having an event and it was called, um, it was an event about finance for parents and the draft of the book had come and there was about five copies or so. And I just thought, oh, let me just carry it with me. When I get there, I'll open it and have a look. I walked in, I opened it in the event, just having a look while something else was going on on some networking or something, something was happening anyway. And people got a glimpse. I sold all those five books that day and I was like, um, that's amazing. It looks like I'm an author now. Uh, (laughs) And you know, the book has been bought worldwide. I've seen it bought in Denmark. You know, I've been to America with the book. I'm read in a school in, in America and it's really, really having a great impact and that's what it's about so that will then um lead on to more stories um about coffee and adwa and and i want it to be a thing where it's their life stories but will help other children as well um because there's a lot of things that we didn't really get to discuss when we were growing up right so we didn't really get to go to our parents and say you know why or what's going to happen to me when this new sibling comes because we we didn't even really get a chance to say some of those things um, yeah capturing that and then it, it also helps parents to answer the questions as well through the story so that's kind of what happened with that but then <laughs> on the journey um as I said through your own adversity you can kind of end up in a position of so much um passion that you end up trying to empower others so I looked at my high premises journey and one thing that I noticed across the board was that there were not people that looked like me in the spaces that talked about my HG Mm. and that was quite sad for me although I can go into any space and make myself heard or, 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 or receive what somebody's saying however what I thought about was hold on a minute there's 110 people probably in my close proximity that have this condition but where are they represented and I thought to myself oh dear um, and so I started screaming and shouting about high premises everywhere I went um, because we have a different challenge. We have the cultural challenge of, you know, some of the stuff that our families will say to us. Um, yeah. We also have the challenge of when you go to the hospital, um, you are all immediately at some risk of potentially not being believed or not being heard because of your colour. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Do you know what? There are so many things. I have so many views on this. I mean, there's a lot of research out there. Guys can check out, you know, um, five times is more page. They have loads of information on there about why black women are five times more likely to die during childbirth and stuff like that. But, but for me personally, I feel like there are several levels to this. There's the level of when you go to hospital, if you're walking with your mum or your mother-in-law, they're not going to encourage you to argue with a doctor about your care no they definitely won't yeah we've been raised in a way that you know no trouble no trouble just just go and they're the professionals and they know what they're talking about so you're not really going to challenge them um and I captured this in my book I went to the GP and I said to him look I don't think I'm being as sick as a normal person would be sick I think I'm being really sick and he was like yeah but it's morning sickness and I was like I don't think and I just had to just keep quiet because I didn't want to argue with him so we have these challenges um we don't even feel empowered enough to challenge these people because they are the professionals um so that's one one strand of it and then there's just it's like you call it what it is it's just um the systematic uh racism there's unconscious bias going on people don't even know that they look at a black woman and think that she's stronger than possibly a white woman yeah they don't even know that they have that thought they don't consciously it's so unconscious that it just happens um and so there's all these different really significant challenges that can happen when you as a black woman or as a asian woman walk into a hospital um or walk into you know a professional's office and we were already hit with all those challenges so i was sitting there thinking hold on a minute so i had all these challenges and somebody else does too so I need to put this down somewhere. Um, I had planned to record a PSA and do all this fancy stuff and had a studio booked and everything. And then COVID hit. So I was like, nah, it's really important that this book gets out. Um, I just document 
what happened to me and I give people some encouragement in the story of how they can um, change their narrative or or help themselves as best as they can. Because <laughs> when you are being sick 30 plus times a day and the only person you see is your aunt who pops in to see you and tells you, oh, be strong, pick up yourself. You can't just lie there or, you know, try this, do this, do that. Mentally, you're at a loss because you the empowerment you're getting is not, not acting what you're going. Yeah, it's not actually acknowledging what you're going through. Um, and then when you pick yourself up and you go into a hospital setting and you're like, please help me. And they they just tell you, you know, go home and do and you know do this. Even a professional can tell you go and eat ginger biscuits, which ginger biscuits is not going to cure high premises or stop your vomiting. Like it's just not going to do it. So with the book, people get to see the rawness of how hard this condition is. But also people that haven't had the condition, people who are caring for people that have the condition, can start to see. You know, I talk about. Um, in our culture, so I'm from Ghana, so in our culture, if your cousin's having a party, you need to go and help. It's not even an option. Yeah. You have, to <laughs> you have to. You know what I mean? You just have to call them and say, what am I doing to support mm. your occasion? Um, so you saying, I can't come and support your occasion because I'm pregnant and I'm sick. Take it may, personally. Yeah, it may get taken personally. And I capture this in the book as well. And I, and I talk about, you know, you're going to have to take that L. You are going to have to take that L. Let them be upset. Because you have no capacity to go and do for somebody else in that state, you know. And just overstretching yourself puts you and your baby at such great risk. But I get it because culturally, we, we, we you know, we have these traditions, we have these ways of doing stuff. The fact is, high premises wipes all of that out. You just have to just sit down and just try and manage. <laughs> well, and, and it's quite hard, yeah. I think as well for me, so I, I didn't suffer from any type of morning sickness during my pregnancy, but um, my cousin did, and hers was very serious. You know, she was in and out of hospital, and she was very transparent with me, but there's only a level of transparency you can have because I'm not with her 24 7. So yeah. there'll be the morning that I talk to her, and she can talk, and she's like, I gotta go, I gotta go. And then that's because she's talked too long and she feels like she needs to throw up, or, you know, yeah. she couldn't even brush her teeth. In the moment the toothbrush entered her mouth, she had to throw up you know, yeah. and I've had a friend as well that was in hospital and, and had to um have a drip inserted in her because she had nothing in her anymore because mm. she just threw up so much. And in mm. terms of relationships, because if you have a partner or a husband and they're yeah. with you, what they, they, they do see most of it, that most of the mm. 24 hours. What how, how does that impact relationships or people in your house having to be around you if you have got HD? You know what? I, in my book, there's a letter from my husband um, where he talks about how he felt and he also encourages other people to on how to be with their partner. I think it is one of the most horrific things that you can um, witness. And this is why I say my daughter was very strong when she witnessed it with my, with, when I was pregnant with my son because um, she, you know, they both had to see me in a way of... I was in pain, I was sick, it was scary, you know, but for my husband, I think he kind of just, he, he has said to me in the past that, you know, you are the strong person in the house, you are the one that holds up this house, um, so seeing you like that, it's like one leg was broken off the chair kind of thing, wow. yeah. you know, and it's, it's quite hard, and I know, and, and the thing is, it's not just during as well, you know, because afterwards now it, it, when people even say to him do you know what are you guys gonna go again he he almost looks like he's gonna pass out <laughs> <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> just straight he's just like hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know you don't want to say too much but you're just like hmm. he's just like hmm. and you know it's quite difficult to even um you know because it's, it's difficult for me to support him because i was in a really bad way myself um and then, and then the after thing is, once you've had the baby, you know, you're no longer sick, isn't it? So ev everyone around you just expects you to be okay. But there is, there is an aftermath of this, this thing. I was going to say, um, is there a PT PTSD that, that comes with um, HD? Yeah, so there is, uh, there's quite a bit of research going on at the moment about, you know, 
PTSD. Um, so for those of you that don't know, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, I honestly can say that I believe there is. I don't believe you can go through HG without needing some support with the trauma that it caused. I'm not saying that everyone will have a mental health um uh, issue but I, I do think there will be a need to have a conversation with anyone that has HG afterwards because and during because um, it affects your thoughts on having more children it affects your thoughts on you know it can make you quite anxious so you've been through so much for this baby you've managed to survive and get to the end and have the baby and now you're so worried about anything happening to that baby because you really ain't trying to do this again right now so you just want to enjoy this moment you don't want any dramas in this moment you don't want any harm to your baby in this moment and you become quite anxious mm. um I know for me personally so during the pregnancy in my book I talk about this on uh, when I got to 14 weeks um I was so upset and I was so down that I got to a place where I was like you know what if just if there was something I could do that would help me to stop the sickness, even if I had to cause myself harm. I would cause myself that harm to stop the sickness. Now that is nuts. You can never think about causing yourself harm for something else. Do you know? Do you, yeah. You so when I reflect back on how serious that was, there were some people who can't actually stop themselves from causing themselves that harm. Wow. So what happens to them? Many women have to um, terminate their pregnancies when they suffer with HG. This is an eye-opener for me. Anyone that's listening as well, I'm sure it is for them. Just the extent, maybe it's it's ignorance or naivety or just lack of knowledge of what is going on with people that suffer from HG. But, yeah. you know, you would never think that it would, it would be so severe to the extent that someone would need to terminate their pregnancy or they would, yeah. you know, yeah. think about self-harm and all of these things. It's, it, yeah. It's... yeah, exactly. And, and, and this is the problem. Like, I remember, I, I remember um, at 14 weeks, I was standing at the top of the stairs and I was thinking, oh, do you know, if I just tripped and dropped, maybe I'll shock my whole body into stopping this vomiting. Now, that's just, it's ridiculous. Because what would have happened is I probably would have broke a few limbs and still been vomiting yeah (laughs) and I'm laughing now but at the time I was crying I cried for hours that day and I just cried and cried and cried and cried because I just could I was just so hopeless and you know why it's so significant that it was week 14 because many people tell you oh when you get to 12 weeks it will stop so mm. I got to and it didn't stop. I got to the 13th week, it didn't stop. Oh no, nah, 14 weeks, come on, man, let me off. And then I just I just couldn't cope anymore emotionally. Luckily, I had support around me and and you know they they stepped in and they spoke to me and you know we it was right, it was quite intense. Um and then you go through that for the whole pregnancy. And coming from someone like me, my first pregnancy, I actually lost the baby. And was that due to HG or was this um, other underlying issues? You know what? They're never going to be able to tell you at 11 weeks and five days really, really why you lost that baby. I don't Mm. think they would have ever really given me a proper, a really clear reason to why I lost that baby. However, um, the day before, because I had actually been admitted to hospital, so um and this is one of the things that i'm screaming about is that if you you know your body isn't it so if your body's telling you something don't worry about what somebody else is telling you just keep telling them that this is what my body's telling me this is what i'm feeling because i um i was very very sick obviously my first time being pregnant i had no idea about no hg i didn't know nothing about it I've, finally got to the point where I was so bad my sister took me into hospital as I approached the desk I literally was just she she was just saying my name to tell them who I am so they could actually take me in and I collapsed at the desk and then I was immediately rushed through drips put on and stuff like that um it took about three maybe two days three days before they diagnosed me with you know what what you're going through is called something called hyperemesis I was then put on steroids um so this is quite extreme 
I was then putting on steroids and many women get to this point where they're so sick, they're so dehydrated, you know, you cannot stop being sick. You're even in hospital and you still can't be sick, stop being sick. So that means you're having anti-sickness medicine going through your veins and it's still not helping you to stop being sick, which is quite mm-hmm. significant <laughs> because if you're taking anti-sick, you would expect at least it to work. <laughs> it wasn't even letting off. So I continued being sick in hospital and um, they diagnosed me with hyperemesis. So cool. We know what it is. I was so happy. I knew what it is. I could tell my mom, you know, mom, I'm not even being extra, you know, I'm actually got, I've got a condition, you know, there was something for me to say. Um, So just the day before I was getting discharged, I said to them, look, I have got back pain and I've woken up in the night and I'm waddling around this um, hospital in the dark because they turned off the lights and I went to the desk and I said ladies I'm in pain and they both said to me oh you, it might be because you're um, tired and you've been vomiting a lot and I was like yeah that sounds legit let me go and lie down lay down went through to the next day still had the same pains um, and I, I I remember leaving the hospital still vomiting and in pain um, and then I got home and my dad was just like ah why have you come here like this? Mm. Why didn't you stay there? <laughs> you know what I mean? My dad was like, I don't get it. Why didn't you stay there and let them look after you there? Because we don't know what to do with how you are. You're here rolling on the floor. We don't know what's happening. And I you, just came, you, just came, you know what I mean? It's like, ah, you just came from the hospital. So why have you brought this back here? We need them to help you. So, uh, I mean, we went through that. I still stayed at home. So we went through the night and then the next day I remember screaming at my dad and saying, do you know what, dad? I need you to help me go toilet. My cousin came. She was like, ah, what's happening here? She ran to the shop. She went and got prune juice because she thought that what I was saying was I need to go toilet. Mm. Only after some time that my mom was like, whoa, hold on. She's she's pushing. And I was like, oh. Uh, like I was so ill that I didn't even really hear her initially and she just she shouted at me she said stop pushing I didn't even know I was pushing how many weeks at this point were you I was 11 weeks and five days Mm. so uh, I I don't know I need to actually look this up but I don't know why my belly was so big but I was showing um quite a lot at that time I was Mm. showing and I just put it down to bloatingness because you know babies are not that big at that time so I just put it down to a lot of bloating because of all the sickness um so for some reason I was basically contracting. So then they rushed me to hospital, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and the doctor was like, "Okay, so you're in some kind of labour here. Um, wow. We don't know why this is happening because, you know, they did all their checks. You know how it is. They do all their checks and they just were like, huh? So eventually I got a scan and there was no heartbeat and it was like, oh, wow, silence. Like everybody was just shocked because we did we knew that I'm being sick isn't it so we didn't think about this extended part of the possibilities we didn't even you know as Christians we didn't even let our minds go to that point so it was a shock um and that in itself has its own aftermath because I didn't you know things like I didn't um want to have go to theater for example because I was still thinking that I'm protecting the baby Mm. so it's theatre I went through a traumatic kind of labouring experience which was just really not that it was not necessary but it wasn't possibly the best option for me yeah Um, and so on and so on so with that in mind and now getting pregnant again what was that like that I can only imagine can you for anyone that's listening that's that's been through what you went through and and not had another child since or that they're worried about having another child what got you through to the point where you could think about having a child after what you've experienced so it's really weird because the doctors will tell you oh you know everything's fine with your you know your organs so take some time out and then wait maybe um three months uh six months and then try again and I didn't want to hear none of that I didn't want to hear nothing it was really strange Mm. no and wait and sit down and I didn't want to hear nothing I just didn't care I just wanted to have a baby and it was strange because as soon as I got pregnant 
I was so worried and nervous about carrying this baby because I needed to get past the 11 weeks and five. Yeah. And every day was like a tick. We made it. So obviously, as soon as hyperemesis started, the fear started. The anxiety must everything is exploding back again, isn't it? Everything just came back. And they remember and the thing is they tell you you might not get hyperemesis again. Hello. Of course I did. I've had it three times. So I was like, oh, they told me I might not get it again. Ho- hanging on to that hope. But I got it. Um, and so now I'm pregnant and I'm trying to um, carry a baby. And I am and I literally, I'm not even going to lie. I'm going to be really honest. I was literally just trying to get past that 11 weeks and five days initially. If I, I think get- that's normal. I don't, I don't think anyone else, who's, anyone that's been through that will... will I probably will probably say the same thing, you know, it's a milestone for, for, for exactly. you. We made it. We got past there. And then, you know, the pregnancy was, you know, I was admitted. I think I was admitted for that pregnancy about 20 times. Drips on, wow. drips, on drips, on drips, medication, you know, and, and with, with my pregnancy with my daughter, although I now understood the severity of high premises, because I must be honest, when I first, first had it, I was scared of taking the medication because, you know, in our families, they don't take... Like, even my mum, there's a letter in my book from my mum. She's like, listen, all she knows is that women can take paracetamol and vitamins. She didn't know that they should be popping all these pills. So seeing me pop pills every day was concerning. She never told me, don't take them. Do you understand? My mum never sat there and said, don't take the medication. But in my head, I even knew that women are not supposed to pop pills like loads of different pills when they're pregnant or loads of different medication when they're pregnant. So for me, I was trying to avoid it, which made me worse. Mm. It made the situation worse because if you allow yourself to get to a certain point of sickness, you're so dehydrated, you're not even functioning anyway. Yeah. So the best thing for me to do was to take the medication on time every day and maintain the little bit of break that I could get in the sickness, even though I was still sick. Um, so I think that also changed slightly when I had my son, because with my daughter, I, I did try and say, oh, let me see today if I can go without any medication. And then I'd end up in hospital. Whereas with my son, I was like, I'm not playing that game. I don't have capacity for that because I need mm. to look after my So here we go. I'm taking that medication when I wake up in the morning. I'm making sure I take it on time. I'm, I don't care about anyone's judgment. I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm just going to do what I need to do to stay alive and keep the baby. And so as my high-premises journey's gone on, three pregnancies, the, by the final one, I realised, okay, do you know what? I have to take this medication, you know? And, and again, faith comes into it. You think, you know, am I, am I saying that I don't trust God? And by, by relying on medication, you know what? Done that, yeah, that's rubbish faith without wisdom and actually doing something won't work you can lead to, to death actually it leads to death that. and that's the problem that we have in our community especially back home as well exactly you will die sis like you will die you will die even if you don't die in your you know god forbid you lose your pregnancy a part of you dies it's an emotional mm. trauma that stays with you for the rest of your life some of these emotional traumas, if I'm honest, our parents had them, but they never told us nothing about that. No. My miscarriages, now that all these aunties were popping up, mm, ah, that happened to me. And I'm like, what? What? You never told me nothing about that. They're just cut from a different cloth. That's what. I, that's how I feel, because some of the things that they go through... <laughs> some of the things that our parents my mum will tell me even now when I'm 30 my mum will, will release little bits of information about growing up in her time and I just think what what how like I just don't understand how you did it exactly and so what's happened is many of us um, ladies now many of us now we look to them and we try to be like them mm. and we're not able to meet what we think they are we end up feeling less than we end up feeling judged by everything they say we kind of we kind of put ourselves in a position where we eat we're so down on ourselves because sometimes I look at I look at you know how my house can get a mess and I think but back in the day they never used to let their house get mess mm. 
cooking clean for their husbands. They would always do these things. And I kind of look at it and I think, so what, what's, what's wrong with me? Why can't I manage all these things? It's just different now. Mm. And their journey is completely different from our journey. Um, and so I think even whilst I was pregnant, knowing that in Ghana, no one had this medication. In Ghana, somebody could have um, high premises, but nobody ain't got time to be talking about no high premises. You just better manage and get on with it. I even had people say to me, oh, you know, when you're pregnant in Ghana, we were even selling things on, on the side. I know. We're carrying things on our head and whatever. Like, yo, good for you. But in the London here, I'm not doing that, isn't it? I can't manage. <laughs> just That's my story. And it's being confident enough to say, don't compare me to anything or anyone. This is my story. And and having that confidence. And sometimes we just, us, young, like young women now, we don't even have that confidence. We're still, we're still trying to navigate our own story. So it's, it's quite a big, it's quite a big issue, actually, I think, in like, all of us. Definitely. We're looking, we're looking up to them, but then we can't manage what they managed. I know I definitely couldn't and that's why you know the relationship I have with my mom my mom you know grew up in Ghana and she came here but she's been here for so many years now and she has an understanding that if I cry about something that she wouldn't cry about she doesn't insult me about it she supports me she tries to have an understanding and I think that's what's so important about our parents generation is that you might not agree with why I'm crying or why I'm upset but just support me and don't question me and don't make me feel like I should be tougher than I need to be because I'm upset and I'm emotional. You know, hormones. What's hormones in in Africa? They don't. They don't. Sometimes they don't. They, it doesn't play a part. My friend, <laughs> they don't care, or, or even they care, but we've never seen them really talk about it. Yeah, they never really talked about these things. The type of conversations I have with my mum now are so deep, and she even turns around and says to me, "Hmm, if I had these conversations back in the day." You know, my life would probably be different. And she she always says to me, she goes, she goes when she comes to Mummy's Day Out, you know, my mom's been coming to Mummy's Day Out from the beginning and and even she got empowered. And she's like, if, if only we mm-hmm. had something like this when we all came here and we had a place for us to all meet up like how we she goes, it would have been different. Things would have been so different for us. We would have been so much stronger, you know, and, and stuff like that. So question started off with how did I start my book journey <laughs> <laughs> no I'm glad that you've got you've talked about your book and just you know that the, the journey with having three having three pregnancies and having yeah. HG and just how it's impacted yeah. your life I think that's so important yeah, to maybe. have that knowledge for me I've learned so much from just hearing you talking about it but I do want to ask with any of your pregnancies were you working at the time because I know that employment plays a big part when when women suffer from hg and it comes to their work they come to maternity leave or just having that discussion with their employer did you have to have that or were you not working at the time um so with my um well yeah all three i was working but with my um first pregnancy i think it was slightly different from my second because well sorry my second my first and second pregnancies were slightly different from my third because I was working in two different places. So mm. with my first pregnancies, my employer, um, they were, I was working there before I had my children and I, before I got married. So it was like we were a family. Yeah. And they kind of went on my journey with me. Um, and I think because I had my miscarriage there, um whilst I was like as I was working in there and they knew that I was sick and they could see that I was throwing up and stuff like that it was a completely different experience to to being somewhere else which I'll touch on but basically the long and the short of it is lots of employers don't have a clue about this condition Mm. as our own family many of them don't have a clue about this condition so what I think is um the hardest part is trying to work having this condition and then your employer not really knowing what on earth is going on. Mm. Yeah, you're pregnant, but you're not disabled. Yeah, you're pregnant, but pregnant women work. You, you you get certain statements that come out and certain things that are said to you and you think to yourself, oh, that, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like um, it suits my situation. So yeah. I was struggling to go to work uh, whenever I, when I had high premises but it got to a point where I couldn't work. So my first 
two pregnancies. I think the first one I was off for like four months. The second one I was off for four months. And then with my son, when I was working in a new place, I was off for, I think again, about four months. Um, and I tried to go back um, and then I'd get sick again. Um, I'd be sick at work. So I'm a teacher. So I um, would be sick at work. Imagine trying to sit and stand in front of a class and you'd be sick. Um, any type of anxiety or stress will in, it will increase your possibilities of being sick as well. Mm. So, you know, even just sitting in traffic for ages was a problem. Um, when I vomit at the time, it was so uncontrolled that sometimes I'd get blood shots in my eye um, wow. or burst, like I'd burst a vessel in my eye. So you see blood on the eye. And um, sometimes, many a times I would wet myself because I'm vomiting so violently, I've lost all control. So I'm just like, I, I'm not even, I can't even stay still. I'm just vomiting everywhere. Um, so imagine not having that at work. <laughs> it was mad. Yeah. No one wants to see that. No one wants to even experience that. And they're just like, go home. So a lot of the time it was, I would try and end up going back home. Um, and I just say to people, if anyone's listening to this and you have HG, don't force it. Like, it's not that deep. You know, you come first. If your employer doesn't get it, give them all the information you can give them. That's absolutely fine. Give them leaflets, send them the website, send them whatever you can send them. Call Occupational Health yourself and get them to do an assessment and let them then feed that information back to your employer that, look, this is the condition she has. She's not going to be stable because of this condition. These are the things that's going to impact. They, they are not allowed to um, reprimand you while you're pregnant with regards to your health um, or your sickness during pregnancy. Thank you it's for illegal. sharing. I was going to ask, is there, is there any yeah, laws that you know illegal. that people like it's to play illegal. around with? Yeah, it's illegal. You're, you're, being pregnant is um, a protected characteristic. So th th there's no, no one can tell you how you're going to be pregnant. So therefore we can't then reprimand you because you've been sick today. You know, like the normal sick leave policy, it can't run with a pregnant woman because you don't know what's going to happen. Mm. So there are, you know, you are protected. You need to find out what you can and can't do. Find out the policies and just always try and do your best. Obviously, don't take advantage, but just try and do your best. And if you're not sure, seek help. Um, and that's why it's really important that the doctors and the, and the people that we go and see listen to us and believe us so that we can even get sick note to take to the workplace. Mm. because if we don't have a diagnosis we are unable to tell the workplace something and then jobs are looking at you like you're just taking advantage or yeah. they're not what's happening they can't even support you how do you want them to support you when they don't know what's wrong so there's a lot of you know partly our responsibility and then making sure that the people around us hear what's happening if you're not sure just go on the internet and find somewhere that tells you what to do or buy your book as well if they need encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> buy my book. In my book, I talk about working while you have HG. Going to work for me was a palava. Like I would have to do certain things before I left the house. Nine times out of ten, I had to leave earlier because I knew when I get to the park just after the petrol station, I'm gonna throw up. And nine times out of ten, I would get to that spot and I'd have to pull over. It got to the point where I had a bag in the car. Um, I had a bottle of water and some anti-back stuff and I knew it. I would be sick on the journey and I'd have to pull over and I'd just pull over, do, do what I had to do, sit there for a bit, pull myself together and then continue to work, which is mad. Some people can't go outside. They have to stay at home for the rest of the day. But it became part of my, my whole journey, um, taking spare clothes with you every time you go to work because some days you could go to work and you might get sick and you can still manage to work or some days you'll go to work and you just need to leave home but when you do be sick you might need to change your clothes so and all you, these things i i, I would if i'm with my, someone that has hg or you know they said they had morning sickness i wouldn't even think to that they'll be going for any of this stuff listen it's imagine like you know you're just talking about the husband thing your partner your friend like imagine you you don't you're even shy to talk because you've been vomiting mm. so you don't you can't be kissing and cuddling nobody you don't feel, like, you don't feel okay yeah i can imagine and then you know we've again culturally we've been growing up that oh um 
if you don't look after your husband, if you don't cook, you don't this, you don't this, they, they, they will be unhappy and this and that. Listen, you can't cook, you can't clean, you can't do nothing. You certainly can't even think about sex at certain points. <laughs> I'm different. I'm the one that will still be thinking about those things. But you can physically, your body's telling you, no, you have to sit down. Yeah. That's the last thing going to be on your mind as well. <laughs> but when you are a woman who, when you've been in a loving relationship, you know what feeling loved in that way is like, you start feeling sad that you're not getting that. Mm. But when you check your statistics, you look at yourself and you think, I've vomited 30 times already. <laughs> I don't think I'm really looking and feeling that sexy vibes. <laughs> so <laughs> when you sit down, <laughs> you can't lift your head to even come and do sexy vibes. So you just have to lie there like that, you know? I just can't do my hair small. I try and be... It was long. It was headscarf. I just had to just forget it. It, it was... You know, in my ear, I could hear the things they were saying at my traditional, you know, uh, uh, don't leave yourself. Don't jaja yourself. Like, you know, do... Bruv, so one lady I spoke to recently, she said her husband would have to come home from work and bath her because she could not bath herself. For so sickness and health. <laughs> to, for sickness and health. We had to come and come go to work, come home and be bathing her skin and fresh. Her. Now imagine you've been being sick all day. You've been lying in their bed all day. He's coming home to now bath you. He too has been outside working, whatever. He's struggling to just manage himself and look at you half, half alive. That you're literally just fading. You lose so much weight. And then he comes home and he's got to now carry all of this load and come and bath me. Like, that is through sickness in hell. That is it. That's, that is it. <laughs> Rachel, seriously, thank I, I, I want people to go out and buy your books. I don't want you to talk yeah. too much about what's inside <laughs> the book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but can you please share with us your socials and how people can yeah. order your book, please? Okay, so the books, both my books are on Amazon. Um, the children's book is called What About Adwa? Um, that's on Amazon. And my new book, which is called High Premises Gravidarum, A Bay Mother's Story, is also on Amazon. If you just search it, it will come up. Or if you search Rachel Barbing on Amazon, the books should come up. Um, my Instagram is rachel.barbing. Well, that's my personal Instagram and my network for mums is mummies underscore day underscore out. So you can follow me on all those platforms. But I know that you um, launched your book a couple of weeks ago, but can you tell people that are listening just where it ranked when, when it first got released? Yeah. So, oh, wow. Um, on the day of release, it went straight into number one on the hot new releases under pregnancy and childbirth category on Amazon, which was a massive, massive um, achievement for us because the whole point is we were trying to raise as much awareness as possible, um, specifically to BAME people because that is where I feel there was a lack of knowledge and it ranked and people bought the book. You know, I logged on and I saw so much sales of the book. I was like, oh, wow and then what ended up happening is I was inundated with stories so if there's anyone on here that has HD or has experienced HD or knows someone with HD or just wants to hear some stories about it on Instagram there's a page called at HGBAME so H-G-B-A-M-E if you follow that page there are loads of stories of women who have had HD and you can submit your story it's not this is not a page for like you know, we're doing this for the likes or anything like that. This is just people sharing their stories. And it is so insightful to see how much people go through, but how they come out the other end. So if you've got a story, just send it in, just DM the page. Someone will pick it up and then and, and post your story. And we're literally just raising awareness. Um, the mums, the aunties, the sisters, the cousins, the husbands and the professionals all need to know that BAME people have specific issues that affect the way they respond to a diagnosis of HD, but also we have an issue when we come into you for you to say to us, actually, mm. yeah, this is what your problem is. We want you to believe us straight away. We don't want to have to go through struggle before we get a diagnosis. And, and these are the type of things we're advocating at the moment. So, yeah, there's loads of places you can come and find me. Um, and I, I'm so glad that you got me on here to talk about my journey and... Um, writing the books as well because it's you know it's it's really important to me now and, and and I think as well for any woman 
that thinks they know what they want to do when god says he's going to do something (laughs) you're not even going to have a choice if i if you ask me would i be doing these things that i'm doing now even all i want to say six years ago i would say no be inside the whale's mouth if god calls you to do something do it otherwise he will find a way to make you do it anyway Honestly, when when your head back is being pushed along, you haven't even got no choice. Like I said to somebody yesterday, I said, I said sometimes I wake up and I'm like, God, so is this really what we're <laughs> doing today? Because I thought we were doing this, and it's like, no, we're not doing it. I just, do you know what? I'll tell you a bit of an exclusive information. The other day, I planned an event. Right, it's meant to come out. It's already loaded. Got all the systems in place. Everything's done. And then I just, I just felt it. I just felt it, and I just heard God wow. say, No, you're not even doing that. You know. You're not even doing that. I just had to leave it alone. And now I've had to redirect everything. And I'm I'm just have to wait. And that's so you've got to tell me, move your foot. And these are the type of, yeah, these are the type of things that sometimes the gram don't allow you to do because you're busy trying to do certain things because of what the gram is telling you to do, because of the way people are pushing mm. you directly. Fix your eyes on God because He will show you things that nobody's gonna be able to show you. And He will make sure that he finishes it for you. So you don't even have to worry. You don't even have to worry, (laughs) you know? So yeah, there's a lot of amazing things coming. So keep your eyes on the page and, um, yeah, thanks. No, thank you. Well. Thank you for I your really book. You know, I'm called Adra, so even me at my big thirty years old, I you know feel represented <laughs> in kids' book. Yeah, and my partner's called Kofi as well. So you know, you just you, you basically made a book about our younger selves, and I love it. Oh wow, <laughs> that's you but, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for all so that you're lovely. doing, especially for the oh. BAME communities and just mothers in general. No matter what race you are, you know, your platform is amazing. The discussion, the IG lives you've been having recently as well, you know, have been really touching and. Um, speaking from a mum myself you know really really encouraged and really happy that you're so honest and transparent about your journey and it's definitely needed oh I'm glad because even me I'm watching some of them lives and I'm crying I'm like whoa you know and it's really this is what we need you know we, we can complain about what our parents didn't do or what they didn't say to us but yeah. you know what let's just change that so let's have those conversations let's just do it 